I don't care anyway. <laughs> Great. So in today's episode, we're going to address this question. Thank you, Jody. Um, this is Amani here for our listeners, and I guess we'll start off by defining palliative care. It's okay, Jody. It's a nerd moment. It's yeah. Fine. I know. And this is just a little nerd. bit dry. Just bear with us for a little bit. We will talk about where the word palliative comes from. The word pallium is a Latin term, actually, and it refers to a type of cloak uh, in ancient Greece and Rome and or Rome. Um, and the term pallium was then modified to palliate, which is an adjective meaning cloaked or concealed, and also can be used as a verb meaning to cloak or shelter. And interestingly, when we talk about, um, nowadays, when we talk about palliative care, we're talking about not necessarily looking at the underlying roots of or causes of disease or trying to change that. But unfortunately, when we're dealing with life-limiting illness that is not curable, then we are talking about symptom management and um, concealing some of the symptoms. Um, but this idea that palliate means to shelter is interesting when we talk about the history of palliative care, specifically the history of hospice care, because I think, and Allison, you know, hopefully you can talk to us a little bit more about that, but I think that hospices actually started off initially as a shelter for the downtrodden in society before even being a medical establishment. But then when we talk about modern hospice care, we're talking about something different. Yeah, and I have become interested in the history of uh, well, I think just as I get older, I, I seem to become maybe less interested in the future and more interested in what, how we came to be where we are now. And part of uh, palliative care, uh, its emergence as a field, is, is the fact that death really before about 1950 uh, was quick and short. Uh, so you often died either in a war or uh, from an infection in an epidemic for example, in 1930, 30% of Canadians died in hospital, so you often died at home, but you died very quickly. And then really in 1950, we came to see what was thought of at the time as the limitless power of science and medicine. And you can see it even in the hospitals that were built in that time. They were real testaments to all the technology. And so by about 1994, about 78% of Canadians died in hospitals. So there was a real faith in that medicine could keep you alive and could perform miracles. Um, now, Cicely Saunders, she grew up just before the war, uh, the Second World War, and was interested in becoming a nurse, but she had a bad back. So her uh, father told her that that probably wouldn't be a good idea. Uh, she ended up uh, studying at Oxford, and uh, she was supposed to uh, become a secretary. But in the end, uh, she did uh, work as a nurse during the war, and um, she uh, cared for a patient named Tab David Tasma, who was a, a Polish, a young Polish man. And some say that she may even have had a somewhat of a spiritual love affair with him. Mm -hmm. And they spoke... Intrigue. Yes. yes. Spiritual. She, <laughs> she had a thing for Polish men, actually. Yeah. Oh, interesting. But... Little factoid but, about Dame Cecilia yes. Saunders. Um, but David Tasma, before he died, he actually donated some money to Cicely in his will. And he did ask her that she would if she would create a home for the dying. And he also asked her if she would put a window in that home dedicated to him. And so by the late 1960s, she had actually 
gone to medical school, uh, honored his request and built St. Christopher's Hospice. And apparently there is a window in it dedicated to David Tasma, although now it overlooks the parking lot, apparently. But the exciting thing about St. Christopher's (laughs) Hospice is, whereas hospices in the past were really run by uh, religious orders, generally there were nuns but no doctors there, and it was really just about housing the the dying. Place to die. Yeah. Um, St. Christopher's, on the other hand, um, really pioneered some of the ideas in palliative care that we still honor. Uh, one being that patients in pain should get pain medicine around the clock. That was a new idea in mm-hmm. the late 60s. Yes. That the use of opioids wouldn't cause addiction in patients at the end of life. And even more importantly, Dame Cicely Saunders was the one who coined the concept of total pain. So the fact that pain is caused by physical, psychological, and spiritual suffering, not just physical. And finally, she made sure that at St. Christopher's that the patient and family were the unit of care, not the patient themselves. Yeah, she really contributed a lot to the way we think about palliative care today. Very cool lady. And she uh, was even involved there uh, up into her 80s, and she actually died at St. Christopher's Hospice as well. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of sort of Canadian foundations in palliative care with Belfourmont, um, I think linking in with Cicely Saunders and perhaps learning from her and bringing some of that to Canada and establishing mm-hmm. hospices here as well. And am I wrong to say Belfour Mount was the one who coined the term palliative care? Yes, he did, and apparently it came to him in the shower. Really? Oh, yes. That is true. So, so palliative care is a very Canadian thing. Palliative care is a very Canadian term anyways. Yeah. Yeah, I would like to put out there, though, that one of the things we read often in the palliative care journals is the constant rebranding of palliative. Yes. Mm. So, you know, palliative care was the term coined really in the 70s, and then in the States, uh, you know, it really wasn't acceptable, and so often they would talk about supportive cancer care, yeah. that kind of thing, and, you know, there's still a lot of discussion about what to call mm. ourselves. Pain and symptom management. Yeah. Right. Mm. Supportive care. Yeah. And so I'd just like to ask you guys, what do you think of the whole idea that no matter how we brand it, it's unpalatable to people to talk about death, and so we have to keep coming up with different names for what we do. I have another cheesy thing to say, which is (laughs) Shakespeare's, a rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. I don't think a name matters, is what I'm trying to say with my Mm. cheesy line. We need to stop. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Palliative care is palliative care, and I think... I think it's addressing the, we need to address the idea that death is this unpalatable topic. Totally. And I think that whatever we would decide is the new okay term would only be okay for a little while until people caught on to the fact, you know, until it became attached to its own taboo, I suppose is what I'm trying to say. It seems like there's maybe a bit more sort of societal acceptance around death and dying, perhaps. Um, I know that... um, at least here in Calgary, there's been um, some death cafes where people from the community come around, come to sort of an evening out and talk about kind of end-of-life issues and, and care that they'd like to receive and just some challenging topics and ways that they're grappling with them. And then I think, Allison, you'd previously mentioned kind of the idea of death doulas and, mm-hmm. and that as well, if you want to talk to that a bit. Yeah, I attended an event at our central library this past spring, and it was for the public. It was 
an author who had uh, written a book on dying and um, some of the important things to keep in mind uh, that he had learned from the dying. And over 300 people came out to that event. And What was the author's name again? Uh, Frank Ostaseski. Right. He was yeah. head of the San Francisco Zen Hospice during the AIDS epidemic. Oh, wow. Um, He's a social worker, I believe. I wouldn't say he even has a social work background, oh, okay. but it was very interesting because he really comes to palliative care with just the idea of walking, walking beside a person right. and just accompanying them. He doesn't even come with the... The idea uh, that we often come to as physicians that we're, you know, going to provide a certain service. Um, But I I think uh, definitely what I took away um, from that event was just that there is, I think, uh, an appetite in Canada anyway. And I think, you know, we've seen this as Canadians grapple with made legislation, so medical assistance in dying. There is a three-page feature article in The Globe this past weekend. Mm-hmm. about a uh, patient with dementia requesting medical assistance in dying. So people are thinking about it, and people are writing about it, and talking about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and just going to your point about Frank Ostaseski, funnily enough, I was just at a little mini retreat this past weekend, and it was you know, a yoga meditation retreat, but the instructor, who's a yoga instructor and does a little bit of life coaching, and you know, not in the world of palliative care, just when she realized that I was in palliative care a couple days in, said immediately brought up, oh, did you see Frank Ostaseski talk mm. at the Calgary Public Library? I was there, and I thought it was amazing. So exactly what you're saying, there is a little bit of a, like a countercurrent, it feels like, where some people are starting to think about this and um, kind of welcome these conversations yeah. into their lives. So how do we feed that when we do find that so many people are closed off to the idea of the fact that we all die? Hmm. <laughs> I have just the thing. No, I don't. Yeah, exactly. It's a tough question. I don't think there's any easy answers. No, otherwise we'd have figured it out. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah I think it's just got to be incremental. Yeah. Right? And like, it'll take a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like yeah. one of our colleagues is, um, uh, Dr. Srini Chari has been trying to introduce some of these things in elementary schools even, so that way kids like learn that, yeah, it's okay to talk about these things and learn about them and death is part of life and how do we integrate that into... I think um, that's brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't do, know if every yeah. parent would think that, sadly, but I think that's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So these generational changes, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and change is always slow too, right? So Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're going to change the world with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's going to welcome palliative care. So can we talk a little bit about maybe some misconceptions about palliative care? What are some common misconceptions that you might hear about palliative care? I think a lot of people assume that's the very last days of life. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, in palliative care, all, all those patients are dying imminently. And really what we're finding is the earlier on you introduce palliative care, supportive care, the better these patients are doing. Mm-hmm. So they may have prognosis of years but we are there to help support them with their symptoms Mm -hmm. while they go through that yeah and you're reminding me of the models of palliative care so some of our listeners may be familiar with some of the models of palliative care the traditional one that we tend to or we tended to teach is um 
this idea that as somebody marches along with their illness and it becomes clear that it's more life-limiting and incurable, that the um, life-prolonging medical care tends to taper off while the palliative care intervention, symptom management, etc., increases. Um, and that was a model that was around for quite a while. Uh, and, and I think it's still a pretty mainstream, like, accepted model for palliative care. But I really like, from Dr. Pippa Holly out of uh, British Columbia, her idea of this bow tie model. Have you guys heard of that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so um, I don't know if I can do it justice in explaining <laughs> it, but I'll give sort of like my interpretation of what the bow tie model is. And Show the listeners that picture you've got right there. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, so on one side, she, she talks about, um, so sorry, it's basically two intersecting triangles that look like a bow tie, if you can imagine that. And on one end of it, you can see both survivorship and death. And the idea is that palliative care belongs in both. Yeah. In both situations, whether we're looking at cure or we're looking at death, people deserve, when they have threats to their quality of life, to have these supports in place mm -hmm. to help smooth the bumps on the road, as our, as our colleague, Dr. Hubert Marr, likes to say. <laughs> right? He says, like, I don't know how long the road is, but my job is to not shorten that road, not lengthen that road, but to smooth the bumps. Oh, I like road. that. Yeah, I heard that. That's yeah. good. We'll have to get we'll have to get Hubert on one day for all his Marisms. Absolutely. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. We'll have a Marism broadcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's sort of my interpretation of it. Really, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. I know you you are a fan. I think Amanda as well of the bow tie model, or I've talked about taught it a little yeah, bit. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. So I think adding on to what um, Amani was saying that at the moment that someone's diagnosed with some life-emitting illness, that palliative care is, is every bit as relevant at that point as it is towards the end of their kind of illness trajectory. And, and so even while we're focusing on treating and hopefully curing um, a disease, that palliative care can be there alongside to provide symptom management and support and conversations and difficult decision-making. And then... As the illness progresses and perhaps advances, then some of that um, disease-modifying therapy maybe is not as uh, as much emphasized, and palliative care becomes ever more important um, just over time as the trajectory of things unfold. And so, so I think it's a really, really nice model and something that that isn't um, just the domain of palliative care specialists, but it's really reflects, I think, a palliative approach to care um, in terms of uh, sort of a holistic model that anyone can can include in in their in the care they provide for patients and their and their families. So mm -hmm. um, that's something that we're really trying to integrate into into training um, for medical students and, and nursing students as well is that that they come through palliative care to kind of see what we do and they gain some skills and then they can apply those skills to the care of their patients in their future specialties and practices so that way um, all patients can benefit from palliative care it doesn't have to be something that only a specific right sort yeah. of yeah. and pharmacy students right yeah, yeah. absolutely we get such such a little amount of it in yeah. school that yeah. it's yeah I, I think that's important too because sometimes you know 
if somebody doesn't have a lot of familiarity, like as a pharmacist, perhaps the prescriptions they might see come across don't make sense they are in another context, yeah. right? Yeah. I've had yeah. them question doses before, absolutely. Yeah. 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 I've been called by pharmacy on yeah. all about doses at times. Are you sure you want to order this? No. Yeah. And to me, I don't bat an eye anymore. But I mean, or even the conversations you have about like relative side effects versus you know burdens yeah. and benefits, right? Absolutely. It's different when you're talking. It's about absolutely that. different. And yeah. And I mean, we could have a whole podcast on deprescribing and mm-hmm. the medications yeah. that are actually important at the end. Mm-hmm. And totally. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about that I was gonna. Um, say from yours, Amanda, is, is getting into that bow tie model versus what we still see sometimes where people are just all of a sudden palliative. Or you'll hear that from doctors or, or family members saying, well, now they're palliative. They're right. It's not an adjective. Yeah. Right? Like, what yeah. did you say before, Amani? Something right. about, like, now they're just transfigured into a palliative. Like, you're just, like, exposing my nerd. Yeah. My nerd <laughs> Yes. You well, I don't want to be known as the nerd. I'm yeah, wearing people, my science yeah, socks. Yeah. Yeah, people but, just don't turn into people just don't transfigurate yeah. into palliative. Yeah, but it's, it's true because adjective, you yeah. you will hear that all the time. You hear you know friends will be like, yeah. oh yeah, this person is palliative. We now made them, or we made them. Yes, palliative. yes, people like are made we, palliative yeah, all yeah, the time. Yeah. We need to get away from that. Yeah, um, and kind of use the proper grammar when it comes to palliative mm-hmm. care. Yeah, it, like the language you use so much influences like how people see things mm-hmm. and how they perceive them I'd so, be terrified if yeah. somebody told me I'm now like you would become palliative mm-hmm. like that's just not how it works mm-hmm. I understand I think it's, I think it's not it. just language though and and my experience is mostly in the world of cancer but I think despite having these models despite talking about early palliative care we still talk to patients I think on a weekly basis, who will tell me about how they felt abandoned by mm-hmm. their mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. often oncologist. And it's no fault of the oncologist. Mm-hmm. It's that um, we have designed a system of care where the oncologist is busy and they are um, expected to deliver uh, oncologic treatments, be it chemotherapy, immunotherapy, radiation therapy, to patients. And when those therapies are no longer available, these physicians don't have the time to continue to follow their right. patients. No, and they don't because there's wait lists. There's people waiting to get in to see them. There's five-minute slots to see oncologists, mm-hmm. right? Like, so it makes sense. Yeah. yeah, so I think what I'm saying is that although we have these models that sound very exciting and and show theoretical advantages, I don't think our system has caught up to the models. Right. And so we still have systems where you're followed by so-and-so, who you trust and then so-and-so is done and then we show up and the patient looks at us and says am I now palliative because for them that's what it feels like I had Mm -hmm. this other doctor who did this for me now I don't see them they don't answer I was told today by the wife of a patient she calls the cancer center the sense was that these people felt abandoned and I think they are a very vulnerable population and they're really worried about this is gets back to one of the misconceptions I think of palliative care, which is that you know the government, uh, the hospital have so much budget and they don't want to spend it on you, so we'll make you comfort care, we'll make you palliative, and it right. won't cost much, right? Yeah. Or so, like we're quote unquote giving up, right? right. Yeah. Or like there's nothing up. more we can do, yeah. right? Yeah. And so and so palliative care, I think we're trying to be the answer to that. Like yeah. instead of there's nothing more we can do, it's okay, well, we're shifting the focus now and how can we provide you with the best 
quality of life yeah. possible given the circumstances, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's always so much that we can do in palliative care. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Right, there's never nothing we can do. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. yeah. There's always sense. something yeah. we can there's do. There's always something negative. Yeah. 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 I would argue there's yeah. sometimes very, very little we can do other than show up. Don't you think therapeutic presence is so important? Yeah, I guess the point I'm making there is sometimes it is not about even doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's just about showing Being. up. Well what about mm-hmm. your story about that doctor? doctor? With the MRI. Yeah, a colleague of ours who um, another colleague of ours tells the story uh, that she was on the unit one day just being introduced to palliative care here in Calgary. It was busy hospital unit and she's introduced to this one director of the unit and he's talking to a nurse about uh, arranging uh, uh, investigation for a patient and then uh, he just says to the nurse you know it'd be great to to organize this early in the day so that they can enjoy the rest of their day and she was just floored that a physician would be thinking about how a patient in a hospital is going to spend their day versus the tests we need to get done that day, the conversations we need to have with them, the discharge planning we need to do, all the um, right. Something pressures so that we get. Something so simple and small yeah. and yet just reflects that shift of focus. Yeah, yeah, totally. But, okay, so I've had situations, and I don't know if, if Allison and Amanda and, and Jody, you can agree, you're in family meetings with us sometimes, but I've had situations where I've met with patients and or family members, and it's the times that I've just said the least that they seem to be the most appreciative mm-hmm. of what I've done, which is like you were going back to what you're saying. It's just about being there with people when there sometimes isn't a lot we can do from a medical perspective, but just saying like, yeah, no, I'm not abandoning you. I'm bearing witness to this. I'm, I, I, I'm empathizing and my, you know, compassion is about empathy plus action. Right. But I mean, sometimes even when there's not a lot of action, at least like just being there and empathizing it means a lot to people yeah. I think people just want that to feel like their story is being heard and mm-hmm. that like they're mm-hmm. they can tell their story and yeah. have space for that and someone cares enough to listen mm-hmm. yeah it's often happened after a patient's passed away but if I've been there in the room I'll speak with a family member who's there and they will start telling me a story about that patient and you could say that anyone could listen to that story. It could be a social worker. It could be, uh, you know, a death doula. But I think that it is very important for that family member. And I think on some levels it's important for a physician to hear it uh, sometimes. Yeah. Um, sometimes I will try to extract that a little bit in a family meeting and we were in a family meeting recently together Jody and mm-hmm. I often ask like so tell me about your loved one oh. like what made them tick is what I like to say mm-hmm. and I find that that just changes the tone of the room it changes the energy of the room a lot it certainly didn't that last it's like meeting. oh you it actually care like wall. what my yeah. loved one is about right and, and I yeah. do and we do and that's mm-hmm. what we're trying to express yeah. yeah I think that's the nice thing too about um, kind of how palliative care is a multidisciplinary approach mm-hmm. where we have, you know, recreation therapists who have the time to sit and, and listen to their, their stories and normalize their, their time and, um, you know, PTs and OTs and 
everybody to kind of come together and take the time to to make them feel human and heard and to be there with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really not just one person doing this work. It's kind of a whole team of people. Mm-hmm. And Cicely Saunders kind of pioneered that, right? The multidisciplinary approach, the volunteers and... Yeah, and I think that idea, as as much as I said, you know, I think it's important sometimes for the physician to hear the story. I think for different patients, different members of the team will become more important to them. Mm -hmm. And um, there can be times where it's the pharmacist who's most important to them. And that can be even the community pharmacist at times, Mm -hmm. especially in rural areas, I find. Absolutely. Or the rec therapist. Yes, sometimes the rec therapist is the very most important. That's right, because I've had situations... She never claim that. No, she's (laughs) far too humble, Tracy. But, (laughs) McChesney. But but, I've had situations where I'm like, oh, can we have a family meeting? And, And then I'm like, well... I have my appointment with our rec therapist because I'm getting my spa treatment. Yeah. And so, you know, you have to work around and that. And my legacy. Yes, work. of course. That's really important, yeah. right? Because it's miserable to be in the hospital. And yeah. so whatever we can provide to make it a little bit better is really important. And I'm lucky because they usually like me because I'm mm-hmm. when I show up, it means they get to go home. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I usually get to be part of that. Yeah, that's great. The angel. Yeah. yeah. The discharge angel. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But going back to Dame Cicely Saunders, you know, she has that quote, and all of us are used to hearing this stuff over and over again, but to our listeners, like, you matter because you are, and you matter until your last breath. Mm -hmm. Did I say that right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, and that's very much about, like, palliative care is life-affirming care. Yeah. And so when we talk about palliative care, it's not about dying, it's about life, right? Yeah. It's life-affirming, honoring somebody's life. So I think Absolutely. It's your life until your absolute last breath. Yeah, I think even adding on to that, and Mm -hmm. your life matters even after you have died, and just honoring that and grief and bereavement support that palliative care provides to families, because often that has been Mm -hmm. overlooked in the past, and it's something that we're really trying to better integrate as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like the place that that person played in that family's life and what happens when they're no longer physically there. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. Can we shift into what we think the future of palliative care will look like? Mm-hmm. Like palliative care robots, AI, <laughs> yeah. right? Going to the moon, yeah. we're going to do a yeah. team trip. <laughs> <laughs> I guess um, one thing like that you were speaking of with Dame Cicely Saunders mm-hmm. is palliative care really originated sort of in cancer care, and mm-hmm. it's just being recognized more and more that it's applicable to any patient with life-limiting illness, and so we are seeing that evolution now. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. We're really lucky in Calgary to have some, some specialists like our palliative cardiologist and we've got people in what, nephro, nephrology, nephrology res- respiratory, hematology, internal medicine, emergency yeah. medicine. Yeah. yeah. Everywhere. It's yeah. kind of branching out. I see you. Let's not forget. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll be having like some of, some of them join us on the podcast, um, upcoming yeah. podcast. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Hear their perspectives on, on, mm-hmm. Some of the juicier things, future of palliative care, interventional techniques. Well, I think that's juicy. I don't know. Uh, again, <laughs> but like just I think interventional pain constantly. medicine. <laughs> interventional pain medicine. Yes. I think having those like elegant solutions where hopefully we're not having such a side effect mm-hmm. profile with systemic medications, you know, hopefully we'll have the, the needle will move. Um, psychedelics, maybe. Yes. Ooh, there's Very another foreshadowing topic. for another episode, possibly. Yeah, absolutely. And like 
No, I'm just getting into the like high tech stuff, but <laughs> we'll go back to the other stuff too. But um, like maybe pharmacogenomics, mm-hmm. maybe when I'm, we're talking about you know um, figuring out somebody's how how a gene affects somebody's response to drugs, yeah, and selecting the right drug Absolutely. and the right dose for them. Well, it's already happening in oncology, right? Mm-hmm. With That's personalized right. medicine. That's right. And so you think right. we can develop the technology in palliative care as well? Yeah, so that would be very helpful yeah and then I think there's the areas of how palliative care is kind of intersecting with just social events so for example the opioid crisis has changed our work in terms of how we use pain medicine and Mm -hmm. how we talk to patients about it um, how we prescribe it how we prescribe it um, how do we approach patients with addictions I think is a fairly new area of palliative care uh, so some things are things I, I don't think we necessarily even, you know, foresaw as part of palliative care, and yet it affects us. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We're going to have to bring up MAID at some point. Yeah. So that's medical assistance in dying. Yes. And, you know, I think now we've had it in Canada for a couple of years, but we have the gray tsunami. Are we allowed to talk about that? We are. All the baby boomers and <laughs> how... You know, how will the baby boomer generation approach death? Yeah, I think that's great. I think advanced care planning does, yeah. Yeah. hopefully will be um, more normalized and mainstream mm-hmm. in the future. And we have colleagues of ours, and we'll have to have, hopefully, Dr. Jessica Simon on one time as well, talking about her great efforts in, in uh, promoting advanced care planning, not just in Calgary or Alberta, but actually mm-hmm. across Canada. Just, she's wow. spreading out there. I was actually really surprised. My parents told me that their family doc asked them about it a while ago. Yeah. I was taken aback. Shocked. That's good. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> Exciting things to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So stay tuned. No, I'm not We hope you enjoyed our episode today. We'd like to extend a special thank you to Zahid Damani for producing and editing our episodes, as well as for our beautiful website. Kasim Harani for the music, and Nishan Sharma for all of his support getting us up and running. Thank you also to our financial sponsor, Dr. Srini Chari. If you liked this episode, please let us know by clicking like and subscribing to our podcast. You can find It's Not All About Death on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other platform for podcasts. You can also find our episodes and connect with us anytime by visiting our website at itsnotallaboutdeath.com or on Instagram at It's Not All About Death. <laughs>